to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. Thanks to all you listeners for joining us for another episode. We're really excited today, Jenna. We're here to talk about plants, specifically flowers, tulips. I'm really excited to learn a lot Spring about Spring plants. Springtime. The most beautiful time of year around the zoo, in my opinion, is when all of the tulips are here. But I know there's so much more to appreciate, and you guys do a ton of other things. But the tulips are so obviously beautiful with their bright colors. Definitely, definitely. Here to talk to us about it today and teach us a little bit, we're being joined by two of our horticulturists, Paul Kalazar and Tosh Dobiash. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day and joining us. We know you're busy this time of year. Springtime's in session, so thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. So we always start off our episodes just kind of learning a little bit about our guests. Um, so we'll do ladies first. Sasha, do you want to tell us about how you got started or interested in plants or this job or the zoo in general? Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually uh, not from around here. Okay. Uh, so I grew up in Michigan and studied out in Arizona. Um, so I moved here about 10 years ago. I actually studied conservation biology uh, at Arizona State. And horticulture was kind of a lateral move for me. Uh, And coming here, I loved everything that the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden was doing as far as plants and sustainability. And, um, you know, just really wanted to be here. And I felt like it really was in line with my values um, as far as where I wanted to sort of set my my (laughs) career path. Um, So I've been with the horticulture department for about 10 years, started as a seasonal, um, and got hired on a few years later. And I primarily work with our um, display gardens. Uh, I do a little bit to help out with our nurseries uh, as well. Um, But I also manage our horticulture volunteer program. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. We have a great core group of horticulture volunteers. I'm sure you guys need a lot of help. There's so much to do. Yeah, there's about 125 people um, that are involved in our volunteer programs. Um, And we have a lot of different areas where they volunteer in, but a lot of them, I'd say probably 75% are volunteering in the gardens. Okay. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of great help from our volunteers. So this isn't really related to what we're talking about today, but you just said something that I didn't know about, and you did conservation biology. What were you leaning towards when you went for that degree? Like, what were you thinking of? Were you always thinking of plants, or what were you? Yeah, so when I um, started my um, college education, um, I actually started at, um, in the sustainability program at Arizona State. And uh, it was one of the, I'd say it was a really good program, uh, especially during that time. I wouldn't say it was like the first program because there have been lots of variations of sustainability programs out there. Um, But I did feel when I was studying it that it was still a relatively new concept. And as far as like jobs and things like that, Mm -hmm. I really wanted something to fall back on. Um, and I mean, biology, that's bread and butter for so many people. Mm-hmm. And, um, I really loved conservation <coughs> biology. I had been, uh, working for a conservation corps, uh, previously and had done some work with AmeriCorps and just loved working outside and wanted to continue that. Um, and then I, when I was doing that, I found myself really drawn to plants and I ended up interning with the Forest Service, uh, growing 
plants for the uh, endangered Carner blue butterfly up oh, in Michigan. Wow. Very uh, cool. So it was it was a lot of fun and um, just to have that kind of direct impact uh, to help species was really important to Absolutely. me. And, um, so my experience and my internships through my education led me down this road toward horticulture. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because you mentioned it's kind of a new thing. Like, I didn't know much about sustainability until I started working here. And it, I feel like it's grown even in the last, like, five years. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm more aware of it and more aware of the options and the things that can be done. And I didn't know about it really ten years ago. Yeah, it's definitely come to the forefront of a lot of uh, people's minds and a lot of companies, really, and organizations. Uh, they are now incorporating those concepts into everyday practices, which is Thankfully. fantastic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, Tosh, 10 years ago, maybe there weren't many opportunity for employment out there. There weren't many paid positions that were offering that kind of stuff. So it was right. great that you had a fallback idea, even though those opportunities have grown and they're more common now. You had yeah. a fallback in horticulture, which worked out perfectly. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, I've, I've loved the journey to get here. So what brought you to Cincinnati? Did you come here straight from Arizona State? Yeah, so I was graduating and um, my husband, who we weren't married yet, but he... Um, is from this area and so you know that's that's how I ended up here and we got married and now here we are <laughs> still <history>. here <laughs> <laughs> and Paul what's your story how did you get into horticulture oh uh, I took the long and winding road uh, okay. <clears throat> out of high school I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and, and I bounced around and did various things and eventually uh, uh, I moved uh, I'm actually from northern Indiana not too far from Michigan there uh, and um, I met my now wife in uh, South Bend. Um, we actually were both working backstage on a production of West Side Story. No way! Yeah! <laughs> Very cool. And um, when she graduated, she got a job in Indianapolis. Uh, I moved there with her, um, took various jobs, and uh, got into one with a landscaping company there and thought, well, this is cool working with plants, except I didn't really want to work uh, watering petunias in parking lots and and um, uh, business park medias mediums um, all day, so I kind of checked out my options and got a got into the public horticulture program at Purdue. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, went through that, got a job in Indianapolis at the then Museum of Art, now Newfields, um, and worked there for six years and and loved it. Um, we, we then came here because my wife's job changed and horticulture, well, insurance is pays better than horticulture. So, <laughs> so we moved to Cincinnati uh, and I worked various jobs here and, and have been here at the zoo for a little over six years now. Wow, I didn't awesome. realize you had been here this long. Sometimes we get stuck in our little bubbles and I feel like the last three years we all really just stayed in our own areas and didn't get out as much because yeah. of COVID, but... I had no idea you'd been here that long. It's been a while, yeah. So do you have a specialty around here? I do. Uh, I work in the plant records. So any of the, the labeling of the, the plants uh, that you see out in the park, that's, that's on me uh, okay. to have it correct and, and looking good um, or to even be there because sometimes, you know, I'll, we'll 
be walking around and go, oh, oh, shoot, that's blooming, and there's no label. Who knows what that is? I should know what that is, so I need to get a label out there. I feel like that's got to be an impossible task, keeping up on all that, right? Because there are so many blooms throughout the zoo. I mean, it takes a quick walk to see how many flowers there are. Scientific names, how do you keep all that straight? That's got to be a huge task. <laughs> it's hard. Um, we, we have a, a, a few racks of, of uh, or drawers full of labels, and uh, when when we see it needs to go out, we'll, we'll go and check through there. If, if it's not in that, then we have a plant records database. Uh, we refer to that if I can't remember what the plant name is, which sometimes happens. And uh, so we'll check that, run a, a tag off through the printer, and get it out there. Paul, how dare you not remember thousands of plant scientific <laughs> names? How could you? <laughs> Some days are easier than others. I'm surprised you don't put the, like when you plant the plant, you don't put the name tag right out, right then and there. Like you, That's a lot to remember to go back and find them. And it is. Uh, so when we plant it, we, we try to keep track of, of it. We, sh we should keep track of it. There should be a list of things that are planted. Um, we also try to get a drawing made of it so we can have that to reference okay, that later as well. <laughs> Um, all these things we can go back and, and kind of check ourselves. Um, sometimes too we'll leave a tag in the ground like on either end of a bed of something that's all the same so we can kind of cheat a little bit that way. But most of the time it's about remembering. Wow, <laughs> that sounds tough. And then so we're going to talk about all of the tulips that you plant but I'm curious if when you are changing out the beds and like making a new display, does it like break your heart to pull out certain plants and then plant something new? Is that difficult for you? Or like, what do you end up doing with those plants? Yeah, so <clears throat> I wouldn't say that it necessarily breaks our heart because usually by the time we're turning plants over, um, they're, they're pretty much done. Okay. So our display areas... Um, during the summer, they'll have annuals and tropicals. The tropicals, we overwinter in greenhouses, but the annuals, they live their whole cycle, life cycle in one season. Mm. So usually when they're getting pulled out in October, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty tired. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the, the fresh new tulip bulbs go in and, um, they kind of just, bide their time through the winter until they come up in March and April and, um, you know, usually when we're digging the bulbs out in May, because they <clears throat> will have bloomed and uh, are kind of heading toward dormancy, uh, usually at that point they look pretty sad as well, so you're ready to kind of change things out. That makes sense. Put something fresh in the ground, too. Yeah. So you mentioned that you plant the bulbs in the fall. Yes. So do you have anything out in place where the bulbs are planted? Can you plant stuff on top of it because it doesn't ever seem like the the displays are empty does that make sense um, where the where all of the tulips are planted yeah so during the winter what you'll probably see or what might look empty would be um our dormant tulips okay. um so they're kind of biding their time waiting to uh send out their their energy and create this awesome tulip bloom um and it looks pretty barren at well, that point. Well, see, that's point. what I was thinking. I feel like it doesn't usually look barren. I oh, never notice I like it either. I, I think you need to get out more. <laughs> maybe I do, yes. But maybe, you know, a good, a good point to that is that we have so many other plants 
in our landscape. Mm. You know, so you might not be looking directly at the first five feet of the bed. You might right. be looking mm. at the shrubs that are behind it or the trees behind it. Um, and we have lots of winter interest plants here. So it's very possible that it's going unnoticed that it seems like this little bit of space has not got something in it, but it really does. Um, and, and then the rest of the year, it's it's really blooming its little heart out. <laughs> and you might be really distracted in winter by all the lights from festival. That's lights. true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I guess if it is like October, and then it's getting colder, and I don't if I don't leave the area as often. But I think it's just props to you guys. I think you make everything look beautiful all the time. So well, thank you. Yeah, definitely. But what is that? Speaking of like planting the bulbs, what does that process kind of look like? Like. How many bulbs are you planting? Who is doing this work? Like that's got to be just a massive undertaking, right? Yeah. So, um, so for tulips, so we we do um, tulips and hyacinths, but then we also do a bunch of minor bulbs uh, as well. And so for tulips and hyacinths, we plant around a hundred thousand every year. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's a daunting number. Wow. Um, so typically, it's about. Uh, I'd say 40 varieties of tulip bulbs and about a dozen varieties of hyacinth bulbs. Uh, and we do it all typically during one month. Um, usually it's late October to sort of mid-late November. And our horticulture volunteers help us with that. And then uh, we, we do it also with corporate volunteers as well. So people who are coming in for one day um, and, you know, it might be a group of 20 and we knock out, you know, 10,000 bulbs in a go. Wow. <clears throat> and so typically, sort of when we're doing the actual planting, we'll have two groups moving in tandem. One group will be working with this corporate volunteer group and another group will work with our horticulture volunteers. And that allows us to basically get twice as much done mm while the weather's good because that time of year you're really you know the rains can come in and kind of knock a week out for you so we try and get everything done as quickly and efficiently as possible <clears throat> that seems tough and i'm always blown away how can you tell with a bulb what color or what variation that you're planting because and how do you decide your displays like to have the red here and the orange, like they're always so gorgeous. How do you do that and how can you tell what you're planting? Yeah, yeah, so <clears throat> as far as um, the designing process, so we typically build our maps during, we, we build maps, you know, we look at a bed and we say we want these varieties in here and draw the shapes in and things like that. Uh, and typically what we'll do is observe what comes up um, during April and look and see how those bulbs have performed. So that would be the, the bulbs we ordered the previous year. Mm -hmm. And then we use that information to inform our design process. And so usually our designs are made in, you know, between April and June. Um, Do you enjoy that process? Is it fun for you? It's, it really is. Okay, yeah, I think it'd you're, be fun. you're kind of, you're really busy with other things because annuals are going in, but at the same time you're like, oh, we just did this and look at all these great varieties that are out there. Um, and so as far as what we choose to put where, we try to use bulbs that are going to come up within a window of time or that they're going to bloom within a certain window and usually those are mid-season bulbs um, and the reason for that is 
we want a lot of bloom at one time um, or over the course of a month we'll say uh, and then we want to be able to take those bulbs out very quickly and get annuals in within a mm. month so that um, you know they're established by July and ready to go for the rest of the year. Uh, so we typically uh, use mid-season bulbs. We will use uh, some earlier things. We'll also use some later things to kind of stretch that for more of a month as opposed to a week or two. Uh, and then we choose a lot of varieties because, um, you know, it could be a bad year for one variety. You know, maybe that variety uh, gets a disease or something and you want to sort of mitigate that risk. We want a lot of blooms out there and you know if you have five varieties of red tulips and one isn't so great you still have thousands and thousands and thousands of tulips that are awesome. Uh, as far as sort of the design part of it you know when we think about colors and heights and things like that we try and put uh, like heights together or uh, you know uh, something that's going to be 18 to 22 inches in back of something that might be a 12 inch variety mm -hmm. and as we plant things and as we use things uh, we get a pretty firm handle of how those perform in our landscape just because it's you know 20 inches in the Netherlands doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be 20 inches for us okay so there can be some variation there and so sometimes you know when you're looking at a bed of tulips and you see something that's really short that's part of that variation where the assumption was that it would be this based on the information we're given okay but, you know it doesn't always work out like that in nature and then we also try to gauge the feel of an area. When you're walking into the zoo, you know, we want things to be energetic. We want to use mm -hmm. warm colors, welcoming colors. Uh, other areas where maybe it's a little calmer, we'll use more pastel colors to kind of bring that tone down and reinforce that, okay, this is kind of a quiet area, that kind huh, of thing. I wouldn't so, have thought of that. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we try and get colors and things that will complement each other, flower shapes that will complement each other. We try and incorporate uh, not only the tulips versus the hyacinths, but also, you know, when we're getting tulips, we have a few double varieties. We have a few lily varieties, fringe varieties, so that there's a little bit of diversity in what you're seeing in the landscape. Hmm, that makes a lot of sense how you kind of mentioned you get different varieties to kind of like diversify your portfolio so to speak so that you've got something growing that was one question I had I don't even know if you're able to track it but like say you plant 10 tulips do you expect all 10 to grow and bloom or is is 80% a success is 50% a success I'm sure it's hard to even yeah, track that so we plant first year tulips so the hope is that every single tulip will come up and bloom um, and typically that mostly happens unless there's a disease issue or mm. damage in, in transit or something like that. Um, as, you know, tulips go from year to year, they do lose a little bit of their vigor. Um, there are some things you can kind of do to help that along. You know, some people maybe even fertilize um, in second and third year plantings. But um, tulips, unlike some of the minor bulbs that will expand year after year and produce more of themselves um, across areas and bloom more, 
tulips can kind of go the other way. Oh, mm-hmm. I was wondering, you've mentioned minor bulbs, but I wasn't sure. Can you guys tell us what those are? Or Sure. Well, <clears throat> first off, I'm going to, and I think listeners will hopefully agree, minor bulbs, that's a bit of a misnomer. Um, I think it's... I think they're termed minor because they're not quite as showy as tulips okay. in their first year. Um, but uh, they can still play a major role in the landscape. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, um, it, it's really just about anything that's not tulips or hyacinths. Um, and some, some would say even daffodils are quote-unquote major. But um, crocus, uh, snowdrops, um, scillas, glory of the snow, uh, there are a lot of, uh, iris, um, those are some of the things people would consider minor bulbs. Okay. They tend to be shorter and smaller, so maybe that has something to do with it too. But there are still some kind of big ones. There's some alliums, which aren't necessarily spring bloomers, but that have a huge inflorescence. Uh, That's the group of flowers. Uh, They might be as big as a foot. Uh, not a, nine inches across, uh, Allium Christophii and Allium Schubertii, very showy, big inflorescences. Not at all what I would consider minor, but no, right. again, again the same thing, yeah. some people would, would call those minor. Um, um, but they might spread, or they'll continue growing better as the years go on? Some do and some don't. Okay. It depends, again, on... Uh, there. There's such a huge diversity, again, of, of types of minor bulbs. Uh, some are very, um, very adapted here, around here, and they will spread, they'll self-sow, or they might uh, produce by offsets. A lot of the daffodils do that. What Uh, does that mean, produce by offsets? So um, even, actually, the tulips will do this too, or can. Um, The bulb, after it blooms, um, as it goes dormant, before it goes dormant, um, the leaves are there providing nutrients to the bulb, and um, the bulb can either simply set a flower for next year, or if it's got enough resources available to it, uh, it can make another little bulb off to the side. Okay. So you can take that, if you were to dig that up, you could take that offset, and now you've got two identical plants. Mm. So, uh, again, daffodils are really good at this. Um, They refer to daffodils as having noses, and usually a top-sized daffodil has several noses, um, and that's just offsets on, on the bulb. Okay. It's like self-propagating almost. Exactly. <laughs> Interesting. Exactly. Hmm. And others like, uh, again, the winter aconites. Uh, winter aconites and snowdrops can produce a fair amount of seed depending on which one you're looking at. Um, so you might get a lot of seedlings from those. Okay. And are you guys planting these around the zoo as well? We are. And at the same time as the tulips? Roughly. Uh, the tulips take priority so they'll they'll all get done and then we'll get into the miners and get those into the ground that that happens you know thanksgiving on and until the ground is frozen okay uh it's it's game on um if it's nice enough outside to to do that and part of that too is because our miners are typically planted in more naturalized areas areas where they'll be uh, planted between perennials and shrubs or things like that and so when you've got a big open area of tilled ground where the tulips are going to go, you really want to get those in right away and um, just knock it out. And also based on the sheer number. Whereas with miners, you can do some today, some tomorrow, here, there, that kind of thing. At least with how we use them. Exactly. Because again, as 
as uh, Tosh mentioned, we're not we're not going into tilled ground with these. We're tucking them in between perennials, um, so it's not a uh, it's not a nice soft dig like the tulips. Okay. We're uh, we're poking these in between perennials um, or under shrubs, uh, anywhere that that when they come up, it'll be kind of bare. They can do their thing. The shrubs will leaf out, or in some cases, the perennials might come up. Uh, and if we're lucky, I, I've, I've been trying to do this. I messed up once. I put in an allium, the wrong allium, uh, with um, a perennial, and and the perennial overwhelmed the mm. the allium before, while the allium was blooming. <laughs> it was supposed to be the taller one, and I forgot which one was which. I mix, oh, okay. I mix up Schubertii and Christophii all the time. And Christophii gets taller, Schubertii Schubertii gets wider. Wow, I can't even pronounce them, so I don't know how you can remember like all the different ones and how they grow. But that's really interesting, though. Clearly, I'm ignorant about all of this, but it's really interesting to me the plants that you kind of call like the quote-unquote miners and the way they kind of like tend to in our zoo the way you plant them, they kind of blend into the landscape. It sounds like I always just took those as like those were growing just naturally because they were just propagating throughout the park. I didn't realize that you guys were actually going in between the shrubs and going in between the trees and like planting them yourselves. Like it gives me a whole other appreciation for it. <laughs> well, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like they aren't just like a bed of them. So it's like, Oh, that's cute. Like there's like daffodils by that yeah. tree and it's just like a little pop of color or something. And I didn't, yeah. yeah, we didn't realize that it's all thought out. That was the intent. That's awesome. <clears throat> so for someone like us that knows nothing, but we know that you dig up all these bulbs after the season in May, like you said, and sometimes we sell them for, like the guests can get a whole bag full for like five or $10, I forget what it is. What should we do with those after we take the bag of tulip bulbs home or hyacinth bulbs home? Yeah, so there's a couple of things you can do. Probably the one that I would recommend would be to put them in um, a cool sort of dark area and let them just stay there through the summer until you bring them out in the fall. Uh, you'll want to, typically when we load up the bags and things like that, they have the long stalk on mm -hmm. them, it's really brown. Let that continue to stay like that because that energy will go back into that bulb okay. and help it to oh. have a bloom the next Perfect. year. that's what I did with mine. Yeah, so leaving those on all summer, that's fine. Um, and then in the fall, cutting that stock off and then planting them at that point. What happens if somebody forgets to do all of that in the fall? <laughs> can, I plant, can I plant mine now or would that be too late? Uh, it would probably be too late to get a bloom this okay. year, but I mean, people do leave tulips in the ground um, and you can do that. They can get eaten by other wildlife, so okay. it's a gamble. They can also, you know, if it's a really wet year, they can, you know, rot and you know, ultimately disappear. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'd say planting them kind of now and through the spring is definitely more of a gamble. Okay. People can do it, um, but, you know, you, you do run the risk of losing them. Okay, so you mm -hmm. recommend fall for yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Something that I wanted to ask about when it comes to, like, the tulips throughout the zoo, not just the tulips, but all your flowers throughout the zoo. I'm sure if you've ever been to the zoo for all of our guests listening at home, Squirrels around here are insane. They are wild. <laughs> How much of a plague are squirrels on your, like, process? They can be real stinkers, for yeah. <laughs> to put it nicely. Um, so we actually, after we have planted the beds, 
uh, we will net all of our tulip beds. And so kind of backing up our process is to pull out the annuals, till the beds, lay out all the bulbs in the design we have, and then plant those, grade the soil, and cover them with netting. Oh, yeah. And we cover them with this netting because the squirrels are such stinkers and they will immediately start digging up mm. tulip bulbs. And um, the netting helps to protect them somewhat, but the squirrels will chew through the netting, they yeah. will crawl under it. Um, and part of it too depends on timing. We tend to see more of that kind of activity like right before we get a couple of cold spells um, and then it sort of simmers down a little bit. We also notice a lot more activity in areas where there might be nests. Um, so, you know, looking at a bed this year, it was pretty severely hit by squirrels. Um, and then you look up and there are close to 15 squirrel nests. Oh my gosh. Vi visible. Oh man. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, it, you kind of, you just have to take it as it comes and, and realize that this is going to be a problem. And some of the things that we can do aside from the netting and sometimes we'll you know add an extra layer and just sort of double protect in certain spots where they've chewed through or something um but some of the things that you know we can do is sort of fix it in the spring you know mm -hmm. so if it's a big area that's really prominent where maybe the squirrels have done a lot of damage we can come in with some sort of a spring blooming plant okay. and put that in instead um, if it kind of works out. Sometimes it's just a matter of saying, yep, we have squirrels, and that's just the way it works. <laughs> they like bulbs, we like bulbs. They also like pretzels and cheese, so maybe they should just yeah. stick with that <laughs> until they bloom. Do you remove the netting, um, yes. like, right before they're about to bloom, or how do you decide yes. the timing for that? So, uh, typically when the tulips are up a couple inches, uh, they've just sort of peeked out of the ground a little bit, we'll start removing the netting. So okay, this... so you don't have to do it before they peek out of the ground. I would have guessed that. No, it's actually, you can, um, but for us, we like to keep it on as long as yeah. possible. <laughs> Um, because we also, not only do squirrels and other kind of small mammals like the bulbs, they also, some of them like the foliage. That makes sense. Mm. Um, and we'll eat that as well. And so, you know, keeping as much protection as long as possible is really helpful for us. But usually, um, once they're up a couple inches, you need to get that netting off or it will start to damage the, the tulip when you pull it off or it will pull the bulb out completely, um, which is not what you want. Right. Yeah. So we actually just pulled up all the netting about a week ago, um, and it's it's it looks great. I mean, they're coming up. They're about three or four inches tall right now. Do you guys have estimates? I know we always, like, try and tell people when we think the peak week or two weeks to see the blooms will be. Do you guys want to guess on that? I mean, it's always hard to make a guess. It's it's like predicting the weather. Yeah. And a lot of it is influenced it's, Because by of the, the weather, weather yes. yeah. Um, but, you know, it could be a little earlier this year. But I would say if you're coming in, in early to mid-April, you're going to see a lot of blooms. And not just tulip blooms. You're going to have the opportunity to see a lot of uh, blooming trees and shrubs and a variety of perennials as well. That's good to know. I think it seems like 
Tunes and Blooms, which is a free event. You can come to yeah. the zoo and see the uh, the blooms, and we usually have bands that are playing. Um, the last few years, I feel like the weather has not been great for them, and it does seem like I could be completely wrong. I obviously don't get out enough, but it seems like in the past five years or so, the tulips have been blooming sooner. Is that correct? Do you feel that? Is it because, like, I'm just wondering if, like, climate change and just weather and everything is affecting this as much as it seems, or... Is it just like the bad weather is making me think like Tunes and Blooms was canceled again? Or, you know, like <laughs> we don't keep hard and fast records on that, so I don't know that we could give a a very solid answer. Okay, I mean, and part of it too, it's is influenced by the tulips that we have. Okay, you know, some tulips mm. will come a little bit later in that mid season window. Some will come a little earlier, mm. and so depending on sort of the ratios of that you could okay. see things happen a little sooner so it's maybe not as weather dependent <clears throat> as my brain it, and it, it can be you know it can be but there's other factors that influence okay. it which is why it's hard for us to kind of say it's gonna be now right. because this other thing is blooming and that always blooms three weeks before they do, you know it's hard to say that because you know we don't always get the same varieties every year right yeah and when they do finally bloom like how long does it last for a single plant? Or I know you said, like, you guys kind of try and, like, spread out your variety so there's something blooming throughout the, the whole month. But, like, how long is each flower blooming for? I mean, I would say that each flower probably blooms for about a week, two weeks. A week, okay. Yeah, ideally. I mean, we always hope, in a way, we're looking forward to the warmer weather for spring, but when the flowers are open, if it stays a little on the cool side the flowers will last longer. Yeah. If we go through a few days, consecutive days, where it's really warm, 60 plus, then it all happens very quickly. Okay. So, um, That's a very we good want to, point. <laughs> we want to strike that balance. Not that we exactly have a choice about right. the matter, <laughs> but um, in an ideal world, uh, those cool nights of spring are ideal for, for sustaining the bloom period. That mm. makes sense. And also, sometimes we'll get some of those late frosts, um, or late snows even, yeah. Yeah. And, and that definitely slows them down. And they, the blooms bounce back okay, pretty well. Like, that. sometimes they're a little, a little rag, ha, you know, <laughs> ruffled. Roughed up. Yeah, roughed up. But um, ultimately, like, they bounce back and, and still are great color in the landscape. Um, but yeah, it can definitely change the timing, and it can also change the duration of that bloom, yeah. That's interesting that the flowers are able to withstand that, though. That was something I was curious about, too, is, like, we're not... It's not uncommon around here to get a late frost as early as, like, early April sometimes, even. And I was like, I wondered if that killed off the bulbs or they just truck right through it, huh? Yeah, I know. They're happy as clams. <laughs> happy as tulips. <laughs> so, um, how do you know when you get it... And where are you getting your bulbs from? When they come... In their first year, how do you know what variety they'll be? I mean, you can't like look at a bulb and know what color and variety it is, right? Or that that makes it a little bit of a challenge when we're moving crates of bulbs around, and you if if we spill any, we have to assume unless we know. Okay, I just dropped this, and it came from this crate, this bulb. Um, if you if you accidentally drop a bulb into another crate, sometimes you don't know that that is there. Yeah. So you you get some mix-ups. But, but they just kind of come in a crate that's labeled. Yes. And how do how do those people who are labeling them know? So it's it's when they 
essentially harvest them from the fields okay. in the Netherlands. Um, and so there can, there can be errors um, where you think you're getting one thing and it might be something else, you know. And a lot of times, if that happens, um, it's a, a similar color or a similar hue. So, like, maybe it's a, a bright yellow tulip that ends up being pale yellow. Okay. Well, that's a completely mm. different variety than what you were expecting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you're out in the field harvesting them, you know, it could have gotten mixed in with something else. Um, but yeah, they come labeled in their, in their crates. And sometimes like the tulip will have a slightly different hue. Um, but you know, it would be very difficult to be like, this is red versus this is pink or, you know, this is a, a blue hyacinth versus a purple hyacinth. Okay. And I don't know if this is putting you on the spot. You may not know, but why do tulips grow so well in the Netherlands or how did that do you know how that happened or what it is about the Netherlands that they became a tulip? I, I don't, I think maybe just a very suitable climate okay. for it and, and good soils. Okay. I don't know if there's a reason they're like grown so well there or if that's... Yeah, Netherlands is so famous for it. You always see the photos online of all the tulips in the Netherlands. It's interesting. It might be something about the, the cool summers because I guess out in the Pacific Northwest there are some growers there that have huge fields of bulbs and it's it's always quite a thing to see i know i've got a pilot friend who takes the time to go flying over oh, wow. them so oh very that, cool that's yeah. amazing it's fortunate you can do that but uh not everybody can <laughs> anyway um I, I i suspect it's a climate okay thing. i mean which makes sense that obviously plants come from everywhere and they have to start somewhere but i didn't know if there was something specific or that's very cool if i'd say so myself i think our gardens around here rival that in the Netherlands. Never been to the Netherlands myself, but, you know, I do a little more gardens here. around here. <laughs> um, so I have one more question for you guys before I think we'll do trivia, unless you have something else you want to add. But animal people kind of roll their eyes at us or don't want to answer when we ask what their favorite animal is. But I would like to know what your favorite animal is and then if you have a favorite plant. Oh, and is that hard? So do you feel tricky. like do you feel guilty if you say, "Well, this is my favorite plant"? Like some people yeah. will be like, oh, "I can't tell you a favorite animal." It's That's like not... picking between your children or yes. something. <laughs> so maybe so you guys I, can I answer, the anim answer the animal one. I'm. I think the red pandas are terribly cute. Oh, they oh, are great. I love the red pandas. <laughs> great I, answer. I have to say I was going to say red pandas. <gasps> oh, 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 pull the rug out from my hands. <laughs> but we can have the same favorite. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, there's enough cuteness to go around. Okay, so we have red panda fans. And then do you have a favorite plant? Can we ask you that? It's really hard. It's really hard. Um, I, because of my connection to the desert, I, and then also traveling around, I would go with uh, prickly pear cacti. Okay. Which is not many people's favorite plants. No, I love it though. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it actually is in a lot of places in North America. Um, so it travels around as well. Oh, I didn't know and, that. And, uh... I, I do love cacti, but that's not, you know, that's sort of an on-the-spot answer. Sure, yeah. No, I like it, though. You have a connection to it that's and a reason awesome. for it's it. It's really hard to choose a favorite okay. plant. There's so many great things out there. I know. I, I feel hard-pressed to choose a real favorite. I'm, I'm more of a, well, what's really, what do I really dig right now? And uh, hellebores right now are all so dark, all pretty um, dark on. I... I, I love the hellebores 
but that's a this time of year answer. Okay. I confess. And what about them do you love? Just how they look? Um, Is there something about them? There's a, a big range of colors from whites to reds, um, and they're evergreen. Uh, they self-sow, but it's not an obnoxious amount, so you're never going to be short on hellebores. Okay. Um, and the, hell, the, the, excuse me, the, the pollinators uh, seem to enjoy them a oh, great okay. deal this time of year, too. It's a one of your earlier blooming perennials. Okay. So even if you don't have tulips blooming yet, uh, you can still have pollinators coming by for that. Which is important to all of us, and mm-hmm. hopefully everyone listening, too. That's awesome. I can definitely relate to that, though. It depends on Your favorite depends on the day, right? It kind of does. Well, great. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't talk about as far as, like, spring blooming plants or anything before we get into trivia? Anything about your jobs that you love or you wanted to touch on that we didn't? It's okay if the answer is no. We just want to give you a chance. I think I'm good. Okay. Well, I guess we'll uh, see how much I can embarrass myself yeah, ready with for trivia, trivia today. All right, obviously, guys, we're talking about tulips today. Um, Jen and I learned on trivia with Maraid a few weeks ago that there are over 3,000 varieties of tulips, which completely blew my mind. So today, we're going to learn about some of the color symbolism behind some of these varieties. Oh, boy. So I'm going to get... Here's how it's going to work. <laughs> here's how it's going to I'm going to give you guys what the color symbolizes, and then you guys are going to have to guess what color it is, if that makes sense. So I just have a few colors I need to So yeah, we're just guessing between colors here today. (laughs) Sound good? Sounds great. Good? All right. So first one, I'm starting you guys off with a softball here. What color symbolizes true love or romantic love? Red. 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 All right. One for one so far. Started with an easy one. This one, I would not have guessed. Second up. What color symbolizes elegance or royalty? Purple. purple. Yeah, purple. Purple. Clearly. Royalty. I need to learn something about it. <laughs> about, tools, about colors. I don't know. Yeah, the, what I read on this was apparently purple dye was very expensive, uh, like in the 1600s, 1700s, so purple just became the color royalty. Oh, that makes sense. Which, yeah, so the, the tulips have kind of carried that on. All right, next up. And if you guys, you guys are the experts here, so if you have anything to add to any of these, please, by all means, feel free to add something. But uh, what color symbolizes good luck or uniqueness, a one-of-a-kind nature? I'm guessing yellow. Yellow from Jenna, okay. Good luck or uniqueness. Yes. Oh. I kind of feel yellow, but I might teeter on white. I could be swayed. I think I'm kind of thinking yellow too, but I don't. That's a guess. That's a guess. So we're, this is our first miss here. The answer is actually blue. What? Oh. And I, was not, because, I was aiming yellow or white too. Wow. Yeah. So apparently, it's because, and like I said, if you guys have anything to add to this, but apparently the blue tulip is extremely rare. I was to say, I didn't know there were blue tulips. <laughs> yeah. Blue is a very uncommon color in plants in general yeah, yeah. So, now yeah. i want to look one up yeah. have so you ever had those here we have had blue varieties okay i strangely um some of the blue ones you know they just haven't done as well huh. here so mm. we we tend to only get maybe one or two a year to okay. try out and you know it's possible too that um some of our wildlife find them a little tastier because oh. sometimes those beds definitely get a little more act- activity in that way. But that is all just sort of a, a, 
anecdote Ob- observation yeah. speculation kind of thing. yeah speculation well speculation. they're rare they probably yeah. have like special unique yes. qualities to them the animals might it like it tastes so good yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're extremely rare they're very pretty if I might add seeing photos of them I'm gonna have to look for them out in the gardens this year see if I can find any but next up we got what color represents hope and happiness well I'm gonna go to yellow is that again. yellow now <laughs> yellow seems joyful sun's yes. out Yellow, we got it. Yeah. Oh, perfect. We got that one. This one was interesting to me, though, because apparently the yellow tulip, the symbolism behind it, has been rebranded over the last decade or so. Historically, it symbolized jealousy oh. or a jealous love, wow. which doesn't really match yellow to me. So it's been rebranded and now symbolizes hope and happiness. Sounds a little more fitting. What job me. it is to brand these colors? <laughs> <laughs> Pantone? <laughs> I think they have a lot of say about. Next up, all right, we have, we're on good pace right now. We're three for four, so you guys are in good shape. Fifth one, we have, what color represents friendship or appreciation? Do we have many left? I'm going to go with white. Uh, I'm thinking pink. Pink, that was, yeah. Do we have any? I was leaning pink. Paint. It's we got a miss here. It's actually <gasps> orange. Orange. Oh, orange. I guess that friendship yeah. makes sense. Orange represents friendship and appreciation. Last one I have for you guys today. I didn't even know this existed, but this color represents power and strength. You didn't know the color existed. It's a really unique this, color. This color of tulip okay. existed. But I'm trying to think of what colors are left. <laughs> right. Power and that he strength. might not We've think. Done it's... red, orange, yellow. Green's not really. Well, I mean, you can get a green tulip. You can. Well, it's white with a big green in the center of the petal. Oh. Yeah. That sounds cool. They are interesting. Hmm. Indigo violet. I feel no, like white's the only color left. Sure, white. <laughs> white is actually the exact opposite of white. It's black. Oh. <laughs> the oh, black tulip yeah. seems like it's a little bit of a myth because it's not technically black is what I read. It's technically a shade of very, very dark purple that, that just sense. appears black Negrita. to us. Mm. But, yeah, they're... Negrita is what it's called? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, one of... That's probably that's, the darkest That's a right purple. Now. There's like dark, some other darker ones yeah. that are that are more on the Ronaldo. Yeah. We don't have that this year, but that was really that was a nice dark a red purple. Mm-hmm. Really like that one. Mm. I want to look up pictures of tulips. It's <laughs> yeah, so, so fascinating seeing all the varieties. It's always really cool, but not bad. Thank you guys for being along with the bit here and taking part in trivia with us today. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes he asks like history questions and they're just impossible. I don't, I have to guess like a year and I just, I thought, I thought about time. doing tulip history and I spared you. <laughs> <on> <laughs> Thank you. I can guess colors well enough. Jenna, do we have anything else for him today? Yes. So you guys can answer together or separately. I don't know how you want to do it, but I would like to know what can I do as a person who wants to be a better steward of the earth? What is something you guys recommend? Well, one thing that I would recommend is, is just planting more plants and um, more garden spaces. Um, and, you know, if you're able to think about planting for wildlife when you do that, that's even better. Um, so, you know, thinking about having bloom available for the full season or the full, you know, most of the year um, and a diversity of plants, those are always really important concepts and important things to have when we talk about um, gardening for wildlife or supporting wildlife in the gardens. 
mine is a caveat to that is uh, planting is good I think uh, I would just recommend that uh, make sure that whatever you're planting is not a problem um, for the your immediate surroundings so if your garden is near a, a natural area park or preserve or something like that um, maybe make sure that the plants you're putting in aren't going to escape out into that mm. and be a problem do you have any specific examples of what not to plant or that you suggest planting for people? Uh, so, uh, given that we're talking about bulbs, I really like Eranthus, uh, which is winter aconite. Uh, in, in masses, it's a, a wonderful carpet of yellow, um, but it's not something that, again, I would, I would not plant that near a, a natural area because okay. uh, they can kind of get out and smother things that might be coming along, uh, mm. things that are, are supposed to be there. Um, like the squirrel corn or um, spring beauties and so forth. Uh, which, by the way, you, you unfortunately, I would advocate planting those, but those are hard to come by. Most of the time you, you find those. They have actually been harvested from the wild, unfortunately. They're very difficult to propagate. So um, buying some to plant in your garden is, is I would, I would not do that because... Which is so hard. Yeah, I, I know, I've always I, had a hard time finding native plants and you think that's the best to do, but then the ones that are available may not be the best. <laughs> right. There are many other native plants that are available um, and make sure when you, you when you find them that they have been propagated uh, and, and not just simply harvested, lifted out of the wild and uh, doing the wild life then no good. There. Right, yeah. Do you guys know, are there any places specifically, any nurseries or anywhere that you usually have good luck with native species or where people should be looking or well like one, you know like or one can always to. go to the native plant sales out at boyer farms <gasps> yes yeah um and and uh I, scott if he's listening to this is already cursing me because i don't remember the dates for the sales uh, they, they're, they're online they're okay. online yeah. find them on the we website and hopefully we can have scott come in and talk to us about these native plant there we sales. go yes. great okay Awesome. Well, do you guys have anything else you want to add? Or any other suggestions you have? Get out and enjoy the blooms. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yes. Definitely if you have the, the chance, blooms. if you've never been to the zoo, or um, if you've just never been to Tunes and Blooms, it's a really incredible event. And like I said, it's free, so it's a great time to come, especially if money is tight. Um, and there's, you know, food and drinks available and obviously the beautiful blooms and you can walk around the zoo and listen to music and enjoy them. But of course, you can come during the day also. Yeah, and that tunes and blooms, that's every Thursday during April. Oh, yes. Good so point. Yeah, every Thursday during April. I think it starts right at a close at five o'clock. So, yeah, it's a great opportunity for you to come, especially if coming to the zoo can be hard. It is expensive to come here. So. Or during the day or you yeah. don't want to come on the weekends when it's the most crowded. So Yeah, it's a really cool event. Really good opportunity to see the fruits of your labor, all your great work in the gardens. It's really pretty. Mm -hmm. yes. Thank you. Well, thank you guys for being here and everything you do for the zoo and uh, the botanical gardens. So we really appreciate it. And truly, we like really enjoy all of the all of the gardens. It's so beautiful always. Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank you. Of course. Thank you guys for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. And to all you listening at home, thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Have a great day.